0: in of college especially a small school everything definitely in terms of the impact it feels very confined to like a certain like uh, radius but then when you're on air like you literally are broadcasting like how in the tri-state area or if you're listening online potentially internationally so there is like that very real like live aspect to it
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmendel.
2: Hello everybody, Eric Klein here.
3: And I'm Jennifer Waits.
2: How you like that new tagline? For the love of radio and sound and sound. Yeah. Radio and sound are different things now. Sound is the bigger category. Yeah, sound is more. We're zooming up.
3: I th- yeah, I think sound is a really good word to use there, all encompassing I like it, Paul
1: podcaster sound uh podcaster radio and we've done right and we've done we've talked about uh, people doing more like experimental things which include transmission but not always right uh, all sorts of sound and you know we're here to celebrate it i think and that's something we we leave out we leave implicit in a lot of ways we're here to celebrate all these great forms of radio made by people who who really give a darn who right. are passionate about it or in college radio community radio podcasting uh, various forms of public radio high school radio uh, unlicensed legal part 15 am stations broadcasting six blocks from somebody's house all these forms of audio uh, this is what this is what we get excited about this is why I think we do the program. And it marks a sort of evolution, I think, in what we do here at Radio Survivor, both uh, on the website, which has now been around for more than nine years, and then on this podcast, which is, which is like three years old now. This piece of sound. This piece of sound that we're making right now and that we're sharing as a podcast. We share as a radio show on more than a dozen uh, community and, and college stations around the country, plus those Part 15 and internet stations. It's all, it's all about a big celebration. And 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 the reason why I highlight celebration here is, well, there's two reasons. Uh, one, College Radio Day is coming up. We're going to talk, we're going to dedicate today's episode to that celebration of, of college radio. Uh, but as well, I came up with this tagline while making a new postcard for us to distribute at the Grassroots Radio Conference, which is also happening uh, coming up this week, October 5th, 6th, and 7th in Portland, Oregon, hosted... By community radio KBOO KBoo, here in Portland. And we'll be there. Uh, Jennifer, Eric, and I will be there. We're doing a live radio Survivor on Saturday evening at 6.30 during dinner. And as well, Eric, you're going to be on a panel about The philosophies of editing. Right. And you're sharing that with the organizer, Frida Worden who is an amazing uh, pioneer, I think, and innovator in community radio who's been producing Women's International News Gathering Service since uh, since the 1980s, 1990s. I'm sorry I don't have that in front of me, but she's an amazing
2: person, and uh, it's great that she's going to have you on her panel. Well, I'm looking forward to, to talking about editing philosophies with Frida and everyone else on the panel. That's going to be great. And Jennifer, you're going to be covering this for Radio World as well, right?
3: I am so yes. All of us are going to be wearing many hats. <laughs> many hats. I'm on no
1: other panels, so uh, you, you all hear from me enough. I don't <laughs> need to sit and sit uh, even more in front of folks at Grassroots Radio Conference. Grassroots Radio Conference. But if you're going to be there, say hello. If you're kind of in the Northwest area and you haven't made plans to go, I would make them now. I would check in now because um, I understand that it's getting close to sellout. But it's it's. Three days, jam-packed. Former FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn is going to give the kickoff keynote on Friday evening. Uh, That's really exciting. Uh, She's probably one of the best FCC commissioners ever, especially when it comes to uh, the public interest and low-power FM. So really honored that she's able to come out and, and hang out with grassroots radio people. And then David Barsamian is giving a keynote on Saturday uh, about, you know, he, he is should be well-known for his program Alternative Radio, uh, which he has produced out of Boulder, Colorado, for many years, and he's co-authored books with Noam Chomsky. And then Wade Rathke, who's one of the founders of Acorn, um, is also going to be keynoting on Sunday uh, and presenting a documentary about him, but he also had lots of involvement in the early days of community radio back in the 1960s and 1970s. So it's uh, quite a big lineup, plus lots and lots of panels and things to learn. Go to grassrootsradioconference.org for all the details. But we hope maybe we'll see you there. And, of course, uh, a celebration of college radio at the same time on the kickoff day there for College Radio Day. Um, Jennifer, I mean, we celebrate it every year. But tell us, what is College Radio Day?
3: And we celebrate it every day (laughs) (laughs) in in, in my household. Yeah. (laughs) So, College Radio Day—it's happening Friday, October fifth. It's the eighth annual College Radio Day, and and we've covered it a lot on Radio Survivor over the years and on the podcast. And it's really meant to be a celebration of college radio. The College Radio Foundation is behind it, and they have uh, they produce the materials that stations can can air on that day, but really it's a day that's left up to stations themselves to figure out how they want to celebrate it. It's a day on the calendar when a lot of stations might plan special events or special programming or potentially air some of the programming offered by the college radio day folks. Um, For the past number of years, they've also had a 24 hour global marathon where different stations around the world take an hour uh, where they are the host, and uh, we've tuned in. I've tuned into that in years past, which was pretty pretty cool. Um, one year, I heard people on a station in Ireland that I'd actually visited. So uh, they were one of the early stations in a marathon one year, Flirt FM, and and so and that's I that think- has
2: that has special significance because. Uh, college radio is sort of a uniquely American institution in a lot of ways. American and Canadian. Yeah. And uh, so to have a college radio station in Ireland is a, a special, There's there, there aren't uh, as many college radio stations uh, per capita, per school, I should say, in uh, Ireland or in the United Kingdom as there well, are. And
3: it, yeah, and it's a more recent phenomenon in Ireland and the United Kingdom. Uh, but there are college radio stations all over the world, and that, that's been an interesting aspect of College Radio Day. At, at one point, it, it transitioned into being World College Radio Day. Mm-hmm. And, and so they really do have stations participating from all over the world. And that's been an education for me to, to hear from stations in countries where I really don't have much knowledge about the college radio landscape. Mm-hmm. So, College radio um, is very
1: influential in New Zealand. Ah uh the university of auckland station um very pivotal in sort of uh being moving along the the indie music scene in new zealand uh has been it is re- widely recognized as being incredibly influential in the development of sort of uh, a new zealand centric music scene
3: well and interestingly um you know there was just a list this week something along the lines of best community radio stations in New Zealand. And it was largely college radio stations. And so, so even the way that radio is described in different countries isn't necessarily consistent. So we might say college radio here, but in Canada, for example, they talk about campus community radio stations and in New Zealand, they might not even say college radio. They might Mm -hmm. say community radio. So um, it's, it, you know, I would love that actually, if we would cover more specifics about what is the role and how is college radio understood in different countries.
2: Right. Well, and even in the United States, I, you know, we know now here, Radio Survivor, I know now from working on this project of this radio show, that um, you can't, you can't just say college radio and walk away without defining what kind of radio station you're talking about. It's, it's actually really funny. It's like, Yes, these stations are affiliated with or located on a campus, but after that, uh, the way that they sound or the way that they're run, uh, the experience of the listener of those stations could be extremely diverse, maybe even more so than if I said the word community radio. We sort of have an understanding of what kind of radio station that sounds like. But when we say college radio, um, it almost I almost imagine that every individual person has their own uh, idea of what college radio is and sometimes they might not match up it depends on what college radio station you listen to
3: yeah and i that that ever since i started researching and writing about college radio that's been part of my mission is to kind of demystify that and and help people understand the diversity of college radio and that there are so many different types of stations there are stations that really function like labs within a particular academic department. There are stations that have no faculty oversight whatsoever that operate like student clubs. Yep. And then there are stations that are run professionally that have minimal student involvement that, that people may still call a college radio station because it's on a campus – but yeah. you know, if there's no student involvement, is that a college radio station?
2: There are NPR affiliates that are college radio stations, and then there are radio stations that are uh, that that all of the DJs are outside of those uh, of the college. You know, community members that that come in and play music, and you know, it might be located inside of the college campus. But uh, there's no requirement for for the, the students to be the DJs in this particular case. It's sort of.
3: Yeah, it's you know, and this happens with other categories like high school radio, mm-hmm. and and I try to, uh, I try to categorize things, but sometimes even I have a difficult time figuring out. You know, is this a high school radio station if there are no high school students involved, even though it's on a high school campus? So you know, there's a station in my area that that is like that, and and do I call it a high school radio station? Do I call right. it a community radio station that happens to be licensed to a high school? So it it yeah th- there's a lot of gray area at times.
2: Yeah, but it it's still uh it's still worthy of the distinction right? I mean college radio is still something that you care you care for very much. So
3: yes, I do. And I think about it probably more than most people, so that's why I get into these arcane conversations about the intricacies of what is a college radio station. But, you know, college radio day is is, is celebrating You know, probably the mainstream definition of college radio, which is a radio station on a college campus with student involvement,
2: music
1: discovery, and other sorts of discovery. Yeah. So, Jennifer, you know, if can you say very briefly then, why do you care so much about, especially about this sort of mainstream definition, this sort of common definition? Why do you think this is so important? Why are you so passionate about it?
3: About college radio?
1: Yes. of of this this sort you know where students are involved
3: (laughs) it's a million dollar question well i i'm interested in in media that is often below the radar and i'm a long-time college radio participant myself and i know the impact that it's had on me and and i think that um
1: Well, what does that impact? What impact did it have on you? I'm trying to get at this sort of like, if I'm trying to explain, if we're trying to explain to somebody why they should care, right? Right. Why this is important, why they should develop, dedicate either a couple of brain cycles or some (laughs) listening time or, (laughs) or their, or even, you know, in some cases, uh, donations or their advocacy. Like, what did it do for you? Why, why was it so pivotal and important for you?
3: Oh, wow. Um, I I think I well if initially I want to attack that I think in a different way in that with with regularity, people will come up to me and talk about, oh, I haven't listened to college radio in years, or oh, like, is there still college radio? Is that still relevant? And at the same time you also hear a parallel narrative uh where people might talk about, oh, radio is horrible, I don't listen to radio. The state of radio is um, in a really bad state, and 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 people when generally when they're making those kinds of comments, they're talking about commercial radio. So, so if I hear those two parallel tracks, I think that has in large part made me even more of an evangelist for college radio because I believe there is still very interesting stuff happening on the radio dial, and you know on on the internet, with streaming stations as well. And and so I feel like I need to constantly remind people that there's something really magical about listening to non-corporate radio. There's something refreshing about hearing young voices on the air, um, people who are maybe on the radio for the first time. and And that's in large part what I find compelling about it. I also you know, the reason I stay involved with college radio to this day is for me, that's the way I discover new music and college radio stations are some of the only stations that are playing some of the more adventurous music that's being released, experimental sounds, things that are very unlikely to be heard on commercial radio stations or even on public radio stations. So if you have adventurous ears and you want to hear things that are out of the ordinary, then college radio is is the place to find these things.
1: And that's from a listening standpoint, right? That's from the, from the standpoint of somebody who who may or may not be at the university or college where a station um is 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 headquartered. What about what about for the people on campus?
3: Yeah, well um you know, a lot I talk to a lot of college students and who, who are involved with college radio and and one big one big thing that people bring up over and over again is the community that they find at radio stations and and sometimes the community that students develop at their college radio station is very different from the outside community on campus and and so for some kids it's it's an oasis uh, maybe, at a place where they might not feel like they fit in for other kids it's an extension of of their of their campus so it's um it's just another aspect of the experience so it's not always college radio station is not always counter to the overall college experience uh, but sometimes it is and and that for me personally really struck me uh, when I got involved I, I started in college radio when I was an undergraduate but continued when I was in graduate school at at a very different type of campus than where I was an undergraduate and in graduate school I was really struck by the important role that a college radio station can play in a more conservative campus community mm. and that was my experience so it was very different from when I was an undergrad it was more um it was more of a fun experience and a way to stay in touch with music and be creative. Uh, And that's a lot of what I enjoyed about college radio as an undergrad. But in grad student, as a grad student, I could really, my, my experience was different in that it made me understand that the role that the station played in this small conservative town was much more vital for a lot of the people involved at the station and for listeners. It was kind of like a lifeline to to this other world and other ideas that, that maybe in a big liberal city, a college radio station might not have that same kind of role. So that opened my eyes, um, in a huge way. And I think that's when I started thinking about college radio in a more kind of critical way.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is that I was a college radio advisor for five years. Um, and, as an advisor, I had a lot of contact with the student leadership. There was uh, basically a board of directors, and I, there was a good dozen students on there. And some had roles like, you know, station manager and program director. And some had other roles like, you know, uh, genre directors. And I've stayed in touch with many of these students, you know, since I've left and since they've moved on and graduated. And what's interesting to me is to see how many of them. Have gone on to other, to apply their leadership skills in, in a whole panoply of ways. So, at least one of my, one student who I met, who, who was a general manager, uh, now works for the same company I do as an executive producer, as a podcast producer. Uh, she, went, she went and worked uh, as an intern at WNYC in New York and eventually uh, worked there full time after graduation. Her working for, for Mid Roll, now Stitcher, has nothing to do with me. It's an entirely parallel path and we do not work in the same departments. But that was interesting to see. But yeah. many of the students did not, you know, went on to other sorts of industries. I know I know one student who now works uh, in Google and is often called upon to go and make presentations to developers and to, and to other organizations as part of his role. Um, I know a student who went on and has created his own record label uh, that seems to be doing relatively well. Uh, exp- uh, focusing on experimental and psychedelic music, out of Chicago. Um, and students who've gone who went on in some cases to the entertainment industry, and you know, I I can see, you know, these students most of them I see on social media, right? That's sort of a nice way I'm able to stay in hmm. contact, uh, with them. How that how that experience of having to organize this radio station, which also has a responsibility not just to fellow students. But to a community outside, right? To listeners, to to people who both like the station and also might not like the station, right? <laughs> who, who find it to be a nuisance, or you know, or, or or as as propagating culture they don't like, and having to navigate those waters, I see how they kind of, to me, how they've been able to pl- use this in in
2: their lives after graduation, right? Sort of, I could see how uh, on a college campus. Uh, certain certain groups of students might have the benefit of being insulated mm-hmm. from the wider world, but at, at the the radio station doesn't have the same boundaries no. that the campus There's does. There's a phone.
1: Yeah. P- you know, people will call, they'll tell you what they think, right? Uh, sort of the early days of, uh, you know, sort of the early version of uh, of like Twitter or uh, internet comment boards, right? Uh, and, and I don't know what your experience was, Jennifer, in college radio, but I certainly remember people calling up and saying, this sucks. What are you doing? Oh, <laughs> and yeah. Like well, really and letting you have it.
3: <laughs> yeah. When I was an undergraduate, we were in the basement of the dining center. So it was mostly during meal times that people listened. And if people were mad about what they were hearing, they would walk downstairs and yeah. you know yell at you. You know, um,
1: and then with a college station, you know, or you know, with a you know that's radiating all around, uh, people will not hesitate sometimes to call university administration and tell them what they think about what they're hearing on air, either. Right? So you have these right. other sort of weighing out, you know, the value of what you're doing and your right to do it to some extent versus well, and also, how it's received and what that impact has on your community, the same way that community radio stations often have to manage.
3: Yeah. I mean, and also intersections with the music industry. So I was music director in college mm-hmm. and, you know, so I had to call people at record labels because we weren't getting a lot of music sent to us for free. So, We had to work pretty hard to cultivate these relationships. So that meant actually reaching out to people, you know, in charge of things at music labels and having conversations with them and, and hoping that they thought what we were playing was cool enough so that they could send us music. So, so I felt like we were being judged by the music industry too, Mm -hmm. you know, in addition to our listeners and, and music directors constantly have to weigh that, you know, maintaining your own identity as a station you know, but also maintaining relationships with people who you want to get yeah, music
1: and from. and the independent music promoters who are contacting you every week, saying, "Hey, how come you're not playing this record we sent you?" You know, we thought this would be right up your alley. You know, and it's you know, with with, with the fact that at some stations, or especially on maybe sort of commercial stations, or on uh, stations that are more playlisted, there's a music director actually has some power. And it said, oh, no, we'll make sh- – this record is going to get played versus it'll, many uh, freeform stations where it's like, well, it's in the pile. <laughs> and if people right. want to play it, it's there. <laughs> you, all I decide is whether it goes into the pile. It goes onto the shelf. And uh, maybe – I don't even know. Maybe now it's a hard drive. Uh, you know. And, but the, the, the DJs are going to decide if they don't like the record, they're not going to play it. And I can't make them play it. And negotiating all of that – I mean, these are real-world skills, Right. In a certain way. Oh, yeah. No,
3: these are these are legit jobs that you have when you're volunteering as a college student at a college radio station, you know, and 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 a lot of these jobs are very stressful and entire panels and roundtable discussions. You know, I've sat in on these conversations where it's a bunch of music directors talking about how they navigate their conversations with record labels and promotional People from, you know, promotional music firms. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely real world job experience that's translatable to more than just the music industry.
1: This is Radio Survivor, and you just heard from Jennifer Waits. My name is Paul Mandel. With us is Eric Klein. We're talking about College Radio Day, October fifth. It's a celebration of college radio globally. And we've been kind of digging into you know what is college radio, and why we think it's important. Jennifer is our college radio expert. You dedicate a lot of time thinking about college radio, covering it, writing about it, and, and delving, talking
2: about it here on the show. Delving into the history of college radio, Indeed. in in the in North America, which is a that's one of my favorite topics. I can oh, yeah. I can I can, oh, I can stand to you. hear more about the history <laughs> of college radio because as I understand <laughs> it, good. It's really
1: it's the history of radio. Yeah, it really
2: is, and more so than you know. Today, college radio might be um, you know a, a, a planet in the constellation of of what radio is, but but uh, at the beginning of the history of radio, college college radio contributors really were uh, some of the people that were making that were the founding, first stations yeah, founding, yeah, yeah. founding what radio would become.
3: Yeah, no, and and those stories are are still. Very few and far between as far as, you know, finding these stories about early college radio stations in, uh, you know, mainstream accounts of the history of radio. So that's something I have really enjoyed diving into because there's still so much work to be done there. And it really is peeling away at these, these accounts that are just sort of hidden away in college archives for the most part.
1: And so Jennifer, is part of your work that I hope anyone who's been listening to the show for a while knows about is that you go and you tour stations, you tour community stations, all power FM stations, and specifically you tour college radio stations and you've toured well over a hundred of them now, or I guess you've done a hundred college radio stations. Is this right? Am I getting this
3: number right? I know this is all very, at this point, Jennifer um, loves her,
2: her, her <laughs> facts uh, in order. So we're going to get the at r- this exact Whereas I'm just going to guess. Yeah.
3: And it may be different. It may be a different number when this uh, Ah, episode is released. But at this point, I've written about 101 college radio station tours. Wow.
2: And those are college stations in specific as opposed to mere low-power FM stations (laughs) or community radio stations or the other kinds of stations that that I've visited. And I heard a qualifier in there, Jennifer. You said written about. So that means the number of stations that you've toured is higher because – you haven't we haven't uh, gone through your notes and, and, and written written down right, these and we, blog posts.
3: It's true. And um I I am nearly caught up. I mean there are some <laughs> there's some sort of there's some lost tours that will not get written up, so that's unfortunate. But um I'm of the ones that will be written, I am almost caught up, which is really good news because I'm about to go out of town, you know, next month. So that more means tourists. more yeah. tours. <laughs> so I try to get caught up before I leave town, mm-hmm. so that I'm I'm not completely stressed. But at this point, I've written up 148 total radio station tours of all types,
1: verging on 150. There'll be another celebration there. I know Your sesquicentennial. I know. <laughs> it's <laughs> a word i love
3: um but yeah i mean when, when once you start keeping track and numbering these things then it becomes <laughs> we
2: get we get the scoreboard we get the tote yeah a <laughs> hundred college radio stations that, that's a lot of tours and, well, yeah, and i
3: just and i just realized um you know because i hadn't really been counting them by category uh we went through all that when we celebrated 100 tours overall right. uh we covered the nitty-gritty but i hadn't gone and done that recently um but I I decided to create a special radio station tours page on radio survivor mm. that keeps track of all of these and so in the process of doing that I I did a new count and so that's why we're we're talking about these numbers again so we'll have a link to that in the show notes but now you can actually you can actually look at my lists of tours by type of station so oh. you could even click on you could click on college radio and see all those tours. You could click on high school radio and see all those tours. And then if you are a numbers nerd, I, I did a separate page where you can see all the tours in numerical order.
1: Okay. So what an exciting
2: – yeah, it's a new resource.
1: This is, <laughs> this is an internet R-hole, R-hole for Radio Hole, uh-huh. that, people can, <laughs> that people can can climb into at radiosurvivor.com. Um, I think it's up in the main menu, right, right? jennifer so right up in the main menu they should be able to find this as well it will be in our show notes com slash podcast this is episode
2: number 161 and this is it's an important resource because uh there's no official list there it's not that there's a um there's no there's there's no government entity that 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 has a website that you can visit. There's no, uh, yeah, there's no directory if you, yeah, I yeah, mean, there's, this is
3: it. yeah, there's, yeah, there's no list. Yeah. And that's, you know, the pie in the sky project is to create a list of all the radio station, all the college radio stations in the country, which, you know, past, I've present, and future. Yeah. I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to compile the list of current radio stations. It's an ongoing project when I have a moment here and there, um, but yeah, that there's no really great list of all the radio stations. So that are I, we out want there. to hear
1: from people. Do you want to see this list? You know, egg us on, help us out, drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com, or tweet at us or or drop a line at our Facebook page. Reason to find we're the only radio survivor out there. Uh, but we want to know uh, do you want to see this? Because in my view, Jennifer, uh, and I'm completely unbiased. Uh, I think you've created, you know, one of the most comprehensive resources around college radio that's ever existed, um, you know, and it, it's a crucial history. And, and you know, on the one hand, we will say, OK, well, you know, sure, fine. It's a list of stations. But as you mentioned, Eric, uh, there is no authority. So there's right. nobody, you know, the, the FCC doesn't keep track. It only cares that these stations are non-commercial. That's that's the only designation uh, that the FCC cares about. Otherwise, it doesn't keep track of whether your license is owned by a university or a nonprofit or a church. As long as you're non-commercial, you're non-commercial. And but it's one of these things that I think often we only see the importance of in the rearview mirror, right? When we start thinking, oh my gosh, there was this phenomenon, and no one we lost the documentation, right? No one centralized it. The, the records are gone. And here's a case in which with luck, the records stay with us that you've made, that you've put this together. And, you know, on the one hand, you tried to, to keep track of the stations, but then to, to actually go and and do what is in a way ethnographic research, right? What is, what is this little place, this, this little spot, often maybe just a few rooms on a college campus what is it like? What goes on there? What did they do? Yeah. And, and you start to see this. What does it look this, like? This, and what you take pictures. Yeah. What does it look what like? What
2: does their record library look like?
1: We start to see the similarities and we start seeing the differences as well. And, and some of that comes out in more stark relief. But I, what I'm hoping is, that, is that, there's, that, that there are folks using this. I mean, I know for a fact that Radio Survivor gets cited in academic sources. Hmm. All you need to do is just do a Google Scholar search. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> and we do get cited. And I know that Jennifer's work gets cited. And I know Matthew's work has been cited. Um,
2: Matthew Lazar, radio historian.
1: Radio historian, who is who is one of the co-founders of Radio Survivor and a frequent contributor to the show. Um, and it's because there there is no other better resource. And I know from having done my own historical research when I was trying to uh, uncover what happened to the first wave of Low Power FM... The, the class D 10 watt stations that existed from 1949 to 1978. Huh? It was a very difficult history to uncover because people didn't write about them. They weren't, no one thought they were important. And what little I could learn about them in an historical record was often master's theses or, or that. So they got published and were at least in some, in some academic library somewhere so and they were usually studies of the sort of um, we 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 were polling, uh, station managers to find out usually something relatively arcane and it was maybe a sixty page piece but that was the one place where I could find mention of these particular stations which tended to be run by high schools and colleges most often. Hmm.
3: Um, yeah, I have I had a very similar experience, you know, doing a literature review about college radio and. And that's why I started blogging about college radio. There really wasn't much out there Mm -hmm. in academic research or online or in blogs and I think we need to do an episode about Class D and have you talk about that research you uncovered, Paul. <laughs> uh, yes. Because that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and, and, and what's even more fascinating is who the villains are. He
2: accepts the challenge. <laughs> Reluctantly, well, he accepts the challenge.
3: There, there are still Class D stations yes. out there.
1: They didn't which revoke I tr- the licenses, but the licenses go unprotected.
3: Yeah. And they, I mean, a lot of those...
2: Unprotected? What does
1: that a mean? A lot of...
3: If somebody you know, wants if, your
2: frequency, you're gone. Oh, they just...
1: Yeah, and a lot, it. it's theirs now. and
3: a lot of the stations that that end up giving their licenses back to the FCC tend to be Class D stations.
1: Yeah, because you so, have no upgrade path. Um, and in 1978, they were given an opportunity to have the upgrade path when when the FM dial was much less packed. But depending on where you were, if you were like New York or or Philadelphia, it was more difficult. And currently, Radio Survivor airs on a Class
2: D station. Class D. So let me see if I understand. Class D is a a kind of radio station. That, 10 watts. Which is uh, small. And before the low power FM movement of Correct. of uh, this current uh, decade. And
1: the reason why it's important is because the death of Class D radio in the late 70s laid the groundwork for the creation of low power FM in the 2000s. Wow. Because it was a point at which people who wanted to create grassroots radio, inexpensive radio, could point to the FCC and say, look, you used to license these sorts of stations. So clearly it's technically possible. And that opportunity got taken away not because there's something inherently wrong with it, but it's, it's, it, it's a value judgment. You made a value judgment that said these little stations don't matter and they they shouldn't exist anymore, mm. um, and that was a bad value judgment, and and that was at least part of the argument. And that's why I went back to go dig up this history. It's in a book called The Radio Reader, uh, co-edited by uh, Michelle Helms and uh, Jason Loviglio. Right, you, two radio you scholars.
2: contributed a chapter. A chapter. My
1: my on one my radio. one academic publication of any of any. Any worth
3: <laughs> i will say right there um, but well, i'm gonna pull that off my shelf paul and revisit yes you because, can revisit um, and it's just part of, it,
1: it's the prehistory to setting up lpfm when i wrote the article lpfm had been approved but
2: was not yet there weren't stations yet on the air that's how old that article is or that, that, that book chapter is and now low power fm is the largest growth of radio in the United States, At mostly least in that history, in not, in,
1: in, a, in a short period of time, all
2: non-commercial, all but, non-commercial, so v- very many uh, low, a lot of lots of low-power FM is a community radio, new community radio yeah. in cities throughout the United States and rural
1: areas. the first station to carry Radio Survivor is a Class D legacy station, X-Ray FM. Because That's right. they obtained uh, the license from Reed D. College, Reed which College. had Class D station. Dr. X-ray, Demento's
2: original home.
1: Yeah. X-Ray has also a translator, so a repeater station, which broadcasts with significantly more wattage. Right. And from a much better location on a different frequency that makes them much better heard than on their primary frequency of 91.1. Uh, but the, you know, the home station, the station that originates the signal, is a... Uh, it's a class C station that almost got turned back into the FCC, but for the yeah, intervention it pretty much, of community radio activists.
3: Yeah, it did get turned back, and then um, the, kind of then rescued. Reed College asked, you know, for the FCC to reconsider and give it back to them. So,
1: and thank that's you, FCC, pretty for reconsidering. I know, <laughs> but um, I mean, that's a little bit of a divergence there. We've done gone a little bit of a, <laughs> of a rabbit hole. <laughs> it's true uh, on sort of kind of putting it into some perspective uh, why documenting this history of, uh, you know, which is right now, in fact, what you document right now, Jennifer is not history, right? You're documenting what's going on now um, in a way that they often say journalism is the, is the first draft of history. You know, if it weren't for this, then where would be the documentation?
2: Jennifer writing about all the college radio stations that they have visited is really the first draft Mm -hmm. of the history of college radio in
1: in in some in particular this, place in this era. Otherwise, it might be in a college
2: newspaper somewhere. Maybe there's uh,
1: right. isolated news reports. Sometimes uh, when a, a station does something of note to the uh, to the
2: local press, yeah. or if the right. colleges themselves are preserving their archives, of, sometimes yeah, there's that. But often, or...
1: again, that's actually not networked. It's not something right. which you can easily discover if you're not. Uh, deep in those archives. And one of the ways I was able to do my Class D research is because I just happened to be a student at the University of Illinois, which has uh, the one of the largest, if not, I think it's called the second largest academic library in, in, in the country, if not the world, behind Harvard. Um, and so I had a sort of breadth of resource that would be hard to duplicate in virtually any other library which allowed me to do some of this stuff, have access to it because of the, because they also are a federal documents repository, meaning that copies of records are actually in print at the university of Illinois. That would otherwise only be somewhere deep in an archive in Washington. But well, and, that, you know, that's, but you're putting it online, Jennifer, where we can all see it.
3: Yeah. And I mean, and what's changed, I mean, a couple of things, um, you know, I will often try to dig in and figure out, some historical tidbits about the stations that I'm visiting beyond what what people at the station mm-hmm. are telling me and and so sometimes I'm really digging in and uh, and there and there's more online now than there used to be so sometimes I can find uh, you know digitized versions of campus newspapers to get inside scoop about station history and And so it's actually it's getting easier and easier to find these things, but not necessarily every station is piecing all of that together. Right. So sometimes I'm coming in and telling people, you know, stories that they didn't know about the station where they're volunteering.
1: That's the importance of research. It's one thing for the primary sources to be there. But without someone doing that secondary research to go in and knit it together, turn it into a narrative um, and and explain what is the importance of these primary sources? What is that that one paragraph that you pulled out that someone else might not have noticed or might have skimmed right past and and put it into this into the perspective of the history of the station and how it fits maybe into the history of of the university or the college or maybe fits into the history of radio?
3: And. And, you know, I've been writing up these tours for a decade now. So at this point, some of that material is historical. (laughs) And in a a few cases, I have revisited a station. So there's been significant change, you know, like at KUSF at University of San Francisco. I have, you know, a written tour of a visit uh, to their station, you know, nearly a decade ago. And then I have a more recent visit to the online only version of the station from just a few years ago. And and it's a very different station today. But, but now I have, you know, the post from the past that you can look to, to see at that particular point in time, what was going on at the station. So unfortunately, like, my job is never done. And I really should be revisiting all of the stations that I visited a decade ago, but But I there's still only haven't... one of you. I know. <laughs> it's only... <laughs>
1: One of you. Uh, This is Radio Survivor. We do this for the love of radio and sound. Jennifer Waits joins from San Francisco, as she does most weeks. And we're talking about College Radio and College Radio Day, which is October 5th. My name is Paul Reismanel. With me here in our Portland, Oregon studios is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. And if you'd like to learn how you can help us continue to do this kind of important work, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And we're heard on radio stations around North America, low power FM, college and community radio stations. So if you're tuning in now and and you're like, wait, what did I miss? Well, you can go and catch up online at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This is episode number
2: 161. We have covered college radio on previous episodes, and you can listen to those as well. Go down the rabbit hole with us, yeah, the radio hole. History. I I can't at the moment pull out specifics, but I know we've talked about college radio history. Yes. So go on
1: over to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We also have show notes, so uh, we'll have links to different things so you can dig in and do some more of your own research and, and learn more. And so Jennifer, we were talking about radio station tours, and I know uh, you've recently completed a tour or writing up a tour to uh, a station in the Hudson Valley of New York state.
3: I have. Yeah. Um, WVKR at Vassar college was on my itinerary in July. One of the stations I visited this summer and I, I happen to be staying in Poughkeepsie, which is where Vassar is located. So sort of I sort of have to visit the college radio station if you're staying in a town, at least from my perspective when on summer vacation.
1: And so this is at Vassar College. Vassar is a is a uh, small liberal arts college. I think at one point was an all women's college, but now is co-educational. but I think it's you know when people think Vassar, they often think of its legacy as, as a women's college. Um, so what's, what's interesting and special about, about that station at Vassar?
3: Oh, so many things. Um, it's, it's an FM station and I was kind of blown away to hear that it was heard in multiple States in the area. So it has a really, Mm. um, a big listening range over its FM signal. It's 3,400 Watts. So you can hear it in Hudson Valley, and also New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, which kind of blows me away. Um, it's it's a mix of students and non-student hosts at the station. It's student-run, but they have a lot of longtime community member hosts. And I was there in the summer, so there were probably more community hosts than student hosts over the summer. Mm. Uh, a lot of interesting music programming. They had... Uh, it, it's kind of a free-form aesthetic, but uh, some people have shows that have a particular genre as their focus. I heard there were two polka shows, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Um a talk it's not show. even in
1: Wisconsin.
3: I know. A, a talk show hosted by high school students. Um, oh. And, and then a really interesting prison radio show, a longtime show that – it's called Voices Beyond the Wall, New York Prison Talk Radio, and it is actually heard in eight prisons in the Hudson Valley, and and that to me was one of so they, the more, so
1: they they like play recordings of it in the prisons.
3: I don't, you know, um, I don't or, know. or they,
1: they're able to get it in the FM,
2: in the listening, it's
1: in the listening area. So, so
3: so many more people are also listening online, but. Um, that was a real eye opener to me. I didn't realize there were so many prisons in the area. And 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 we've done episodes. We did a recent episode of Radio Survivor where we talked about the intersections between radio and prison. So, it was fascinating to to learn more about the show and and the impact that it has on the community with so many prisoners in the listening range and one of the summer station managers was going through mail when I was there, and I could see a stack of letters that had return addresses at correctional facilities in the area. And and that's, you know, initially I was thinking maybe it was one, um, but they were all from different correctional facilities. Hmm. So hmm. that you know, was really eye-opening. That
1: reminds me of, of my experience at WTSR in Trenton, New Jersey, at uh, what was formerly known as Trenton State College, now known as the College of New Jersey. Uh, I did a metal show, and I got letters often from the local correctional facilities in the Trenton area, uh, with requests. And they'd all been, of course, reviewed. You know, you know that when you when you receive hmm. them, they've been opened and, and resealed. Uh, but asking for requests, usually Slayer, <laughs> nine times out of ten, <laughs> you know. And 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 there's that lifeline because often I think probably a college station is going to speak to somebody. Who who may be on the inside, uh, in a certain way, because there's a real person there, right? Who might, if you're able to call them, will respond to a call. If you're able to write them, will respond on air. Um, you know, it's it's in many ways, I think, more personal, and and you you can tell versus a voice track DJ or even a commercial radio DJ. Who, if you're one of the last remaining local uh, commercial radio DJs who's not uh, on a computer. Um, you know, you have so much to attend to, uh, aside from that kind of deep personal uh, interaction. But to have a show specifically targeted to and programmed for uh, people who are incarcerated, uh, it's pretty fantastic, and it's great to see that Vassar is able to support that.
3: Yeah, and and the week I visited, the show was actually recognized with with an award um, by it was honored by the New York State Assembly. Actually, wow. So, um. Yeah, pretty significant show and just you know, every time I visit a station there's something there's something different like that that sparks, you know, conversations about different topics about the intersections between listeners and radio. So that was that was to me like a very interesting aspect of WVKR. You know, the the space is also really cool with um they have lots of funky artifacts including A Leo Blaze sign, which if you read Radio Survivor, you know of my obsession with these paper kind of carved three-dimensional signs that this musician made and sent out to seemingly hundreds of radio stations all over the country. And uh, it's part of my radio station scavenger hunt to look and see if I can find a sign when I visit a station. So they had one there. So that always makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lots of other Whimsical items and DJs at the station actually are are asked to bring in a token when they're interviewing for to uh, to get a show, and and these tokens then get saved and then displayed at the station.
0: When student DJs interview for a show, like in the fall, um, during as part of the interview session, they bring a little like token, um, a little story along with it, just like you know to make the interview a bit more lively.
3: So there's actually a You know, from mini Christmas trees to jester hats, there's a globe and various stuffed animals. And, you know, often this kind of those kinds of things just sort of show up at college radio stations. But it was interesting to hear that it was actually a formal process.
1: (laughs) And Jennifer, you did have a chance uh, to talk to one of the students uh, who works there. Um, I think their name is Mika Fidenko.
3: Yes, Mika Fidenko, one of the summer station managers, mm. uh, met up with me and is heading into their junior year. So we had a really nice, deep conversation about the impact of the station not only on Mika but also on the community.
0: It's very real. I think live, like being living on a college, especially a small school, everything definitely in terms of the impact it feels very confined to like a certain like uh radius but then when you're on air or you're with djs um like you literally are broadcasting like how in the tri-state area or if you're listening online potentially internationally so there is like that very real like live aspect to it Yeah, radio, it's like when you go on air live, too. It's like the theater of radio, which I really dig. It's exciting, you know, like having the listeners with you, like potentially like nerve-wracking. Yeah.
1: And that's really great hearing from Mika Fidenko, one of the summer station managers there at uh, WVKR, which is the station at Vassar College. It's great to hear how a student gets that impact. It's something we've been talking about this in this entire hour just about how college radio stations are a little unique, I think often as a school resource in that they touch many more people than just the campus community that because they by their very nature radiate out and if it's if it's an on air station if it's an FM station like WVKR this one reaches right a tri-state area if not even more than three states you know reaches a, 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 a population of people who are behind bars in addition to the, of course being on the internet and it's great to hear them recognize that and and that they note that and it sounds like to me that sounds like the, the folks there at WVKR get that. It sounds like it's sort of almost knit into the station. is am I am I right there, Jennifer? Does that sound right to you?
3: Yeah, it definitely f- feels that way and and they also understand with so many longtime community members involved with the station, some for you know ten years, for decades, um, that that brings this institutional memory uh, that I think helps reiterate the importance of the station and the impact of the station. I think sometimes when you have a college radio station where there's constant turnover and and no consistent members, sometimes you lose track of, mm-hmm. uh, of the greater impact of what you're doing. Um, so I think, you know, that was something that we definitely talked about was how nice it was to have a lot of these longtime folks and alums kind of helping Uh, helping keep those memories alive and understanding the bigger picture.
1: It's like a crucial balance, right? In that sometimes I think college stations suffer when there aren't enough students involved, right? Because it starts to appear to administrators and other people that um, the station isn't serving the campus sufficiently. But at the same time, right, having that direct community involvement, whether it's from pe- from alums, people who, who were there and graduated and have stayed on in the community, or f- or from people who are just simply in the community and interested in broadcasting and contributing, like that seems really critical as well, right? You're, you're talking it's like it's like a foundation that continues to exist as anchoring that helps to both anchor to history and the past. Right. What what are things that have been traditional here and why and, and what value they, they continue to have, as well as an anchoring outside the campus walls. Right. And, and you hope that's, that the college students are involved to some extent in the communities and where they live. But, you know, there's a lot of demands on their time and attention. And it's sometimes it's difficult to be both kind of a resident and citizen of your local community, as well as your campus community. And it seems like these alums and community volunteers can help to provide that 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 critical connection.
3: Yeah, I think so. And and you're right that it's this balancing act too, where you know it it always is important to have a station be focused on students, and I think you know stations like WVKR having it student run you know, keeps that in the focus that, that it's a student activity. Um, But, but I think it it can be really crucial to a lot of stations survival to have these longtime participants as well.
1: Wow. So uh, you have published your tour, a WVKR. They can read your, people can read your write up and and see photos at radiosurvivor.com. And of course, we'll link to it in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and this is episode number 161 i keep not believing that we're in that we're, <laughs> that we're past 150 uh and well, it's the thing about doing a, a weekly show right is that <laughs> the weeks are there right and you just keep you just keep doing
2: it <laughs> some weeks uh, we do it more than others yeah
3: <laughs> it's true well and and i compare it to my number of station tours so like for a while the number of station tours was higher and those and are now hard to do
1: though you, I mean, the, you have to travel you wow. right but it's like
3: it's almost like a race where you know now my number is smaller than the number of episodes
0: oh, yeah well it's not you, a race.
2: you shouldn't keep producing great episodes of the show then and then uh, <laughs> maybe we'll fall behind
3: yeah i'm not saying it's a competition but it's just interesting since we have two things that have numbers associated with them right. it's it's hard to not think about them in parallel
2: well so many episodes of radio survivor have been focused on the work that you do touring college radio stations so there's there's an overlap
1: yes thank there you it's. jennifer uh we have to figure out a way Someday to, for you to write your book, for you to, to your uh, your coffee table book, volume one.
2: Paul is producing a book for Jennifer. You have to uh, call it volume one. Live on this podcast too. Occasionally, uh,
1: we just need we just need people to tell us that they'll help us do it. Drop us a line. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Uh, or tweet at us at Radiosurvivor. Drop us a line at our Facebook page. Tell us uh, that you're here. You'd like to help us create. Help Jennifer in particular create, uh, you know, what we hope would be, you know, there's something about a book has a certain permanence. You get into some libraries. It may stick around for a while. Mm-hmm. We'll try and keep radiosurvivor.com going as long as we can. And we're overdue for uploading the show to archive.org. Uh, Are you talking
2: about the radio program or, the, or the, the website?
1: I don't even know how we do that. I guess the website must already be there. And, and Well, web you, crawler.
2: I, yeah, that's, we, we, it's complicated. We,
1: yeah, it's there. Uh, how deep it goes? But I was going to say
2: that just uh, still, you know, something that was founded as a blog in 2010, the fact that it's still 29. around in the era of uh, no blogs is uh, is is a, is a <laughs>
1: blogs are still there. We just call the websites now.
2: Yeah, but most of Geez, they're all Facebook. No. <laughs> Facebook is no longer
1: a friend of publishers. We all well, know this.
2: And that's that's why most <laughs> well, blogs a lot of shut down.
3: A lot of the blog blogs are really hard to find. I was actually going in my own rabbit hole trying to find some of my old blogs and yeah. they were hard to find even on an internet search. So, so your
1: old blog meaning things you wrote or contributed to or
3: Um you know, blogs that I have hosted elsewhere.
1: Oh that you know that are yours, that you wrote.
3: Yeah, so okay. things that are on, say, Blogspot. Oh yes. Those, uh, it was hard to find my own blogs. Hmm. Yeah, but they don't. Doing Google a
1: search. as of yet doesn't delete those things. They pretty much just let them hang out there. But who knows? Yeah. They still exist,
3: but, but they're hard to find. But all yes.
2: of those search terms that used to be unique to your destination are now sort of a part of that noise yeah. of what the internet has become. And
1: the Google algorithm privileges the new. Yeah, privileges exactly. the updated. Yeah. It does not really right. old.
2: You have to dig for that history.
1: Yep, that is uh, that is. and, so and even, you can understand because as, as I mean, you know, we can we can I, can I can I can criticize Google for that, but at the same time, you as a searcher, most of the time, if it gave you this page that were
2: ten yeah. years old, I do not want to know what day the Super Bowl aired. Right, twenty years ago, it's not helpful. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. So it's it's a tough it's tough to balance all of these uh, separate demands.
3: It is, but I am grateful for things like the Internet Archive because I was able to find some of my writing on oh. sites that have changed hands, and at least some people either uploaded it there or it got crawled. So, if it's about you know.
1: college radio, Jennifer, copy it and pay, put it on yeah. Radio Survivor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am really serious. Uh, j- just copy it and put it up on Radio Survivor. Put uh, it's fine because that way we, we you can control it again. <laughs>
3: Um, well, yeah. I mean, even with with course. spinning indie was was yeah. was my blog prior to Radio Survivor, and it still exists. But that material, there's a lot of material there. My early radio station tours are on spinning indie, and and a lot of that material is is hard to find in search. Yeah. Um, Put you it know. up at review Survivor. I, mean, they, I should.
1: Yeah, not as a cop. I mean, it could, be, it could be a copy, but it's good. I know that now we're deep in the hole. We're in the after dark I here, I think. But, we are yeah. in the after dark. But for people who are, um, you know, for folks out there, if you've got your own content online and it's not on a site that you can absolutely control, which I, I can I include Medium. I know lots of people love using right. Medium.com, but it's just a matter of time till Ev gets tired of it and... You know, decides he can't. He's not making. He's not losing. He's losing too much money at it. I can't imagine he's making anything. Um, and they turn off the lights, right, and say, "Hey, you got two weeks to download your stuff, and and good night." Yeah, those links
2: aren't going to necessarily. And they're all going go year. away.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had the same domain hosting account for going on to I think sixteen years where I host MediaGeek.net, which was my blog. I don't update it anymore, but it's still there, and uh, and lots of other domains, and I just keep that account. I just pay my 10 bucks a month every year to keep that going, and all the domains I've owned over the years, I just don't let them go. Because it's the only way, it's the only guarantee I have. If it were hosted by somebody else, even though Blogspot doesn't seem to be going away,
2: you never yeah know. it's worrisome
3: and this is G, you know in G- in keeping G- with our conversations about archiving and preservation that we need to pay attention to our digital material and mm-hmm. make sure we know where it is and that it's saved and backed up
1: absolutely all right. Now I'm going to go into a proper goodbye that Eric, can, uh, so we can cut for the uh, radio version at 50, 59 minutes, yeah. and we'll have a slightly longer podcast version if Eric has the uh, mental bandwidth to support that.
2: I should be able to. Thank you,
1: Eric. So happy College Radio Day, everyone! October fifth at collegeradio.org. That's uh, where you can learn more and find out about the coordinated broadcasts. Uh, tune in to a college radio station. Tune into many online and on the radio. Have fun. See
3: how many you can tune into. I want See to hear. how
1: many you can find.
3: This is my challenge. You know, how many college radio stations can you listen to on October 5th? And and write to let us know how many you listen to. Tweet at us. Let us what know. What you liked. <laughs> and
1: hashtag it college radio day and uh, tweet at us, and we'll we'll see who wins. Uh, we'll be at the Grassroots Radio Conference here in Portland, Oregon, also October 5th through 7th with a live edition of this show, October 6th at 6.30 p.m. I do believe you'll need to be registered to be there. Uh, so do so if you're going to be in the uh, greater Portland, Oregon, Northwest region. We'd love to see you come by and say hi. Jennifer, thank you again for bringing all of what you do for college radio and this tour of the station at vassar really appreciate it
3: of course happy college radio day
2: happy college radio day everybody
1: thanks for spending another hour with us